Greetings, programs. Hello, and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 19. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and with me today is my dependable, winsome, butt-kicking guest co-host, Adam <laughs> Liebrick Johnson. Welcome, Adam. Hello. It's uh, actually Liebrick Johnson, but that's okay. Oh, it's a hard I- name to pronounce. We even went over that before the show, and I got it wrong. It's, oh, well. it's okay. It took me a long time to learn how to pronounce it as a child. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. I blame my parents. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, tell us uh, tell us a bit about yourself, Adam. Well, uh, I am uh, a uh, musician. I play trombone and sing. Uh, I also uh, work in IT and uh, at a uh, visual effects company. And oh, nice. uh, I've loved this movie for a, a long time, since it came out the year I was born. Oh, right on. Right on. Do you remember the first time that you saw it? Uh, I honestly don't. My father worked on Tron, and so it's always been kind of a part of our, uh, been kind of a part of our lives. Wow. What, what did he do on Tron? Uh, he had a, uh, a, uh, an audio post-production studio back in the 80s and 90s, and he did uh, sound design and mixing for the movie. Wow, fantastic. So, okay, yeah, because we've, we've talked a lot about some of the audio choices that were done before. The name uh, Michael Fremer, I think, was the guy who was the main audio guy, I think. So he must have, like, talked to your dad a couple times or something like that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. I think this is the first time we've had someone on the show that actually has that uh, that wild of a connection to it. Yeah, it's uh, it you know I've got a lot of tangential connections with that because of my dad, but uh, like I've I've I haven't done anything significant in that field, but uh, he certainly has. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, cool. Well, all right, so let's go over uh, a little a little summary of what happens in this minute. Um, we've got Flynn is p- playing a rousing game of space paranoids, and uh, while a crowd watches, and after beating the game, he sees Dr. Laura Baines and Alan Bradley in his arcade. So that's how this one goes. Yep. Uh, b- believe me, uh, seeing uh, seeing an arcade like that is really, uh, really great. It, it brings back a lot of memories from when I was a kid. My parents would always take me to our local arcade called Pinball Plus. Pinball Plus. I, I love all these different arcade names that have been coming up during this show, but sorry, keep on yeah, going. It, it, was, uh, it was on the corner of... Uh, Glen Oaks and some side street in Burbank, California, and it was a great little hole-in-the-wall arcade, lots of pinball machines, lots of classic uh, arcade cabinets, and uh, it, unfortunately now it's a pharmacy, but back then it, we, we would go almost every weekend. I don't think I ever saw a scene like this where, where people clustered around a cabinet while somebody was getting a high score. I don't know if that's something that actually happened or if that's an invention of the movies. It's hard to tell because it seems, it feels like it would be an invention of the movies, but I remember, like, if something like that was happening, if somebody was going for an actual world record, or if there was a, a competition, I imagine a crowd would gather. I remember small small crowds, but mostly, uh, like, friends of friends. Not like yeah. a crowd, not like a crowd of strangers, but, like, if your friend was going for a high score or especially with the with the fighting games with like uh, street fighter and stuff like that like if there was a a, two people going one-on-one with a group of each like each of their like two groups of their friends going like oh that was amazing you know or something like that that would that would sometimes happen but there's got to be like 25 people in this scene maybe even 30 cheering them on it's it's a huge arcade so that's like most of the population of the arcade seems is there (laughs) 
Yeah, and they're all. It's like he's got rock star status or something. They're just like, wow, just, look at him go. That, he's just the guy that owns the arcade. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I suppose there might be like a bit of that. Yeah, it's like, oh my god, everybody. Get in his good books. Cheer him on. Cheer him on. Like, he's actually not playing that good of a game, but they're all like, oh, you're yeah. doing great. Oh, this is fantastic. I get some free tickets to uh, next weekend. <laughs> so, yeah, so Alan and Dr. Laura Baines come up on Flynn playing Space Paranoids. And in the background, uh, we can see a lot of neon signs. In this first yep. sign here, there's a neon sign flashing the video game title Intruder underneath a rainbow sign. And the, the rainbow sign looks pretty out of place to me like it should be in a kid's toy store and i don't know i, I noticed i noticed a few rainbows uh through throughout these couple minutes and I'm, I'm just wondering if that's just something that flynn is into yeah it must be because they're in his they're in his uh bachelor pad too kind of there's some there's some rainbows up there too maybe yeah. i don't know maybe this just some, well maybe that is supposed to be something for like a kid's store something kind of childish something hey kids come on in here there's there's rainbows it's like a it's like a McDonald's land playground or something like that though. I don't know. I I wonder if uh, they were put up next to each other by like different departments. Maybe. Like you had the set deck department and then you had the the neon yeah. sign department and they were just. I love hung. all the neon signs throughout the arcade. The the big space flashing space paranoids one. The uh, there's one for something called Astro Gunner. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Uh, <laughs> also seems like a like a not real game. And then there's. Uh, for uh, for the other games that we'll find out about in the next in the next couple minutes that he that he worked on as well. Yeah, there's a there's, few there's signs a sign in for, here. A sign for Matrix Blaster, another one for Vice Squad. Uh, I think there's a Tail Gunner one in there too. A couple different uh, a couple different Gunner ones. And uh, okay, well, one of the kids in the um, crowd says he's really on a roll this time. Another Rico, and then he ties, and another Rico, and he gets the world record. So I guess Rico is shorthand for recognizer. But, yeah, that, uh, that would make sense. But yeah, that kind of that kind of slang seems uh, fairly common for uh, for people into games. Yeah, and so it looks like we're looking at a, a legitimate world record attempt on space I paranoids here. I, I love uh, I love uh, Flynn's old style headphones around his neck there too. Like yeah, he's got, got the like he's got his Walkman out on the uh, out on the floor while he's doing that. Yeah, like very uh, like Guardians of the Galaxy, just like still hanging around his uh, his neck there. It's very it's cool. It's cool guy. It's cool guy costuming right there. I just wonder how much time Flynn spends managing the arcade and how much time he spends playing video games. If he's getting uh, like, does he just does he close the arcade and then play for another couple hours? If he's going well, that, for a little that, that was my question too. Like like he's he's the owner, right? What's he doing that down there? He's got. I'm sure there's books that need doing. There's. Uh, budgets yeah. and repairs and all sorts of stuff going on that that I'm sure need his attention. Even at the, even in the like in the next minute there one of his employees is like tries to get his attention. He's like, "No." <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> They're like, "Hey, Flynn." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, not now, not now." It's like, "Uh, okay, but what if it's important? <laughs> like the front window is broken." It's like, "Uh, no, not right now. It's okay. It's cool." Now, the other <laughs> the other question I had is that, is it ethical for an arcade owner to set a record in his own arcade? Yeah, that seems like that would be a like, little... Is he monopolizing the game and keeping it from his customers? Yeah, yeah. Did he put $10 into that game to play it? Or, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just publicity. <clears throat> I was looking a little bit into the uh, arcades themselves and a little bit about the origin of the of the word. and it's uh, the, the word arcade just means arch of a bridge. 
from the from the French arcade and from the Italian arcata, which is from the Latin arcus, so like just an arc. And if you get a row of arches uh, and you cover them, and then you've got then then there's like shops on both sides, and that was like an arcade. So the name the word goes back a long time, but it's mostly a a market, and it would have yep, it's... Sh- shops and stuff like that. Yeah, the uh, the the uh, the modern usage is a, as a place of video games. It's actually a, a video arcade, so it's an arcade full of video games. Yeah, that's right. It's got that that uh, qualifier at the beginning. It's like a video video game arcade. But the, yeah, so the idea of like a shopping mall or a place of gathering for games and pastimes goes back like a, a really, really, really long time. Like amusement arcade, I guess it used to be called an amusement arcade. With uh, like in the nineteen twenties, with shooting galleries and ball toss or penny, games, or a penny arcade. Oh yeah, penny arcade, sure. Where all the games were a penny, or, or I think that was it, right? Like all the games were a penny. Mm-hmm. That's why it was like a penny arcade. Yep. All that normal carnival kind of stuff on a midway. Midway's another another term that comes back to the world's Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893. It was yep. like there's a, there's a big Midway Park and but Pleasance Park in Chicago. It's like that's where all the other exhibition halls and all the games and rides were. So now, but now every everybody has a Midway, and there was a what is it? There was even a Midway Games company. Yes, they uh, they made uh, some video games, a lot of pinball. A lot of really good pinball tables. A lot of really good pinball. Yeah. How many uh, pinball companies are still around? I guess there's Stern, right? Uh, there's Stern's, and I think there's one other that's uh, a newer one that's uh, like that's doing some really interesting stuff. I am uh, I love pinball more than more than video games. I think. Yeah. I was just in Las Vegas at the uh, the Pinball Hall of Fame, which was a blast. Nice. One uh, there's one pinball game that I've always wanted to play, and that's the two player Joust video game. That uh, joust pinball game. Did you ever see that one? No, I'm not familiar with that one. It's it's head to head, which is something that they didn't do very often. It's like two half size pinball tables back to back, and at the top where they meet, there's a gate, so you can actually shoot your ball over into your opponent's play area. I'm <clears> looking then, it up right now. That looks rad. It's just bizarre. I was like. Because I've been I've been recently going hard on uh, old school video games, and I really like Joust. Joust is one of my all time favorites. And then yeah, I was like, a, there it's was a Williams a, classic. Yeah, and there was a there was a, a pinball, it was a pinball version of Joust, and I was I've never heard of two player before. I think they did like two or three others, uh, different different uh, different types of two player ones. But the Joust, I one don't was think the I've ever popular. seen that before. That is amazing, isn't it bizarre? Now I really want to play that too. I, I so want to play it, but they're, they are really rare. Like there's, you know, your average rare cocktail table video game or your, your rare arcade cabinet. But <clears throat> the two-player Joust pinball is like, that's gold dust. If you can find one that's actually well-maintained and not totally falling apart, then sit down and have yourself a game because that's not an opportunity that's going to come by your way very often. Yep. I just don't know where I would find one. Uh, there's like a couple places that are, you know, there's the Pinball Hall of Fame in Las Vegas. There's the Pinball Museum in Banning, California. Yeah. There's a couple other uh, couple other uh, pinball archives like that. People people try to keep it alive. Yeah, there's a, there's a few now. There's a few around. And I want to go down to, uh, like, I know Portland has a bunch of video game places, a bunch of arcades. Yep. And I imagine uh, they might have something. Yeah, the, what's the one in Portland that I went to? Uh ground control had, was that yeah ground control they had four player pac-man which was a blast 
That's always fun. That's always is that with the huge screen? Yeah. Yeah. But I think they they were the first ones to have it where you could eat the other players and it's it was that that's a blast. Oh yeah. <laughs> Eating the other players. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, they had like uh what was it? Midway Yeah, Midway Games was founded in 1958 and then in 1973 they put out Space Invaders. Sorry, in 1978 they put out uh Space Invaders. Which was their big Space their Invaders big is a classic. It's fun, but it's also difficult. Yeah, and uh, I, I imagine that's where the name Space Paranoids comes from. Is just a play on Space Invaders. You know what? You're you're totally you're probably totally right. I remember um, I was a uh, a bar in 2003. I went into that had a Space Invaders game in the back uh, in the very back room, and it handed me my own ass constantly. I was like, I don't remember this game being this hard and i don't know if that's just because i'm i was older then than i was when i first played it or i was like is there a difficulty setting at the back where they just to get more quarters they can turn it up and make it super hard i suspect it's just that uh, i hadn't played it in a long time it's probably a combination there there is a difficulty setting on some of those games they will they will they can turn up the difficulty to get more quarters out of it yeah yeah, like we were talking in the the last minute about Asteroids Deluxe. One of the kids is playing yeah. Asteroids Deluxe, and they made that one harder. Just to I get, think like, there's probably a I think there's a Space Invaders cabinet somewhere in Flynn's as well. Yeah, there's one that I says get, Space something on the side, but I'm not yeah. sure if that's Space Invaders or Space Paranoids because it doesn't have the Space Invaders uh, that classic Space Invaders cabinet yeah. art on the side. That there is there is definitely a pole position cabinet. I see one of those, and somebody's yeah. choosing a track on it. Yeah, there's a that, couple that's, of that's a, older. That's when I that's when I pumped a lot of quarters into as a kid was pole position. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's another yeah. really difficult one. Yeah, yeah. It's fun I going never... back and playing them, but then sometimes you're like, wow, this is, gosh, yeah. Like what was it? Uh, Midway also did uh, Mortal Kombat, Rampage, Spy Hunter. NBA Jam, and then they got the rights to other video games, like from Williams, uh, such as like Defender and Joust and Robotron and Gauntlet, mm-hmm. and Spy oh, Hunter is a Spy Hunter is a classic. I love Spy Hunter. And that's just that's the car one, right? You've got like smoke screens yeah. and oil slicks and stuff like that. You're chasing and the and the Peter Gunn theme plays constantly. Oh, nice! That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's really cool. Looking looking up a lot of these, you see a lot of screen grabs and a lot of images, but it's uh, you don't get a lot of the old sounds. And that was really half of it. Like you can really hear it in uh, in Flynn's uh, arcade. Here is that wash of that wash of eight bit sound just constantly oh, yeah, churning, it's, constantly. It's wonderful going. that that uh, that it's it's memories. It's all memories. So, yeah. have you ever played uh, Space Paranoids? No, I don't. Well, did they put it out? Well. Back when Tron Legacy was coming out, they ran an ARG, an alternate reality game, called Flynn Lives. Yeah. Part of that was they put Space Paranoids online. You could play it online. It the same level of graphics that they have in the uh, in the uh, in the movie, which uh, it's kind of difficult, but it's 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 very repetitive. Yeah, but it's you know you're driving down the canyons and you're shooting recognizers and gun emplacements and stuff. But yeah, it's. Uh, it's a, it's a fun game, and they they actually built uh, a couple arcade cabinets for for Comic Con that year when they did the Flynn's Arcade uh, pop up. Fantastic! And then uh, for Electronica at Disney's California Adventure theme park, which was a a, a nighttime party that that was Tron themed, they had they had a replica of Flynn's Arcade Flynn's Arcade, 
with an actual coin operated space paranoia that you put tokens into. That's wonderful because one of the things they go into is that like th- what's on the screen here is impossible for the day and age. Oh yeah, no, that that sort of shaded vector graphics is is not possible. No, at that point it was they didn't even have I don't think raster graphics. They just had uh vector graphics and they had uh well, they might have had some some color. Yeah, they had some color. Because I th- I think the Star Wars game is about the same vintage and it was just vector lines and stuff like that. So I th- I think yeah, Space Paranoids like you could have done it in 3D like they do there but it would it would just be it would just be wireframe graphics it wouldn't be yeah, it wouldn't like, have the shading in it at best it would be wireframe gra- graphics like well there was a huge well it's hard to, I was looking up like the the beginnings of the video game industry and the beginnings of arcades and its evolution but it's so vast and there was so much of it that was happening at the time so I have to try to sort of focus on what was going on just around 1982 and 1983 and I was looking at some of the numbers here, and there's a huge video game crash in 1983, just after Tron came out in 1982. It went from a peak of $12 billion a year down to about $100 million a year by 1985. So there was a real metamorphosis there as the home video market was starting to strengthen, as well as like home computers and home game systems. And the arcade, I think, as we remember it and celebrate it, only had a, a heyday of like... I don't know, half a decade. Yep. You know, when there was the, the actual arcades like in Flynn's, which I'm sure there were at least a few. A lot of a lot of arcades I remember were sort of in one section of the laundromat or in one section of the of the restaurant. Yeah, the People one would... uh, the one I went to as a kid uh, that I was talking about, Pinball Plus. I think it survived until about 1992. Oh, okay. But it, but it got it, they 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 the games got less and less maintained towards the end and the yeah. pinball machines were, were, uh, were not in good shape. And they finally, uh, I think, I think around nine, I think around 92 is when it shut down. I think there was a lot of, a lot, I remember a lot of out of order signs and a lot of, a lot of owners that were not as enthused perhaps as they were at the beginning when they first owned the business, or maybe that was just the employees that worked there. I don't know. Like the, the video games attracted a lot of like teens and tweens and it was the the arcades themselves were mostly kept dark to make the screens look lighter and so yeah. after a while uh i think there was a lot of kids there that were skipping school and then these sort of truant kids attracted other opportunists and a lot of the owners seemed to think that it was uh, a hassle like just installing a few change machines and just letting it run itself like an arcade could just run itself if one of the games break you just stick an out of order sign and then you don't uh, you don't think about it yeah you don't think about it which is and when it comes to video games i can sort of see it being above their pay grade like if a video game breaks at that point technology was still so mysterious that you're like i don't know what's going on but with pinballs yeah. like pinball machines it's just mechanics and there's a real yeah, just re- you can replace a solenoid and everything's fine. Yeah, so you just need some uh, a, a professional to come in and and but they need upkeep. They need fairly constant upkeep. Like I think pinball machines are fairly delicate creatures. I think when mm. you get down to it, and they take a lot of abuse with all the yes, they the they do take a lot of abuse. Uh, one of the uh, one of the biggest problems I've seen with older pinball machines is uh, just the 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 printing and the paint on the table itself coming off. Sure. Because the yeah. balls, the ball, the ball just rolling over it constantly. 
and yeah. that's that's something that's almost impossible to restore. You have to like, you you either have to hand paint it or you have to print out a whole new like vinyl applique for the top of it. Or a lot of the earliest pinball machines are all hand painted. The table. Yeah, that's right. Eh? Gosh, it's a whole it's a whole different age. That whole bygone age of uh, it's like mm. it's easy to get nostalgic for a lot of these things because of the, that they were all like hand painted and a lot of the effort that went into it is just apparent. Like I was reading the numbers on a lot of these pinball machines and video games and they were like, they shipped something like 40,000 units. Like a really popular pinball machine, you know, shipped like 80,000 machines. And I was like, wow, huh, that's it. It seems like a lot, but it's not really that much. (laughs) It's not really that much. And especially when you think about video games selling millions of copies and uh you know grand theft auto sending millions and millions and millions of copies and you're like well geez and and this this super popular top of the line pinball machine shipped eighty thousand units and you know and that's why the, and that you know that's why the home market killed the arcade yeah that's why it did you're like well geez it looks it's obvious why why it uh yeah why one killed the other for sure just economically and also i remember back in the 80s parents started going after the arcades like their arcades were lumped in with like dungeons and dragons and heavy metal music and all that kind of what's happening to our children right all like, that fear-mongering all that uh yeah all that fear-mongering and oh no drug dealers are gonna hang out at the arcades and give your kids drugs <laughs> yeah which i mean to be fair did happen in some of the arcades that i was that i was growing up in so i don't think the fears were completely unfounded but i think like a good well-run arcade wouldn't have that in it i think a rundown arcade with absent owners might have something like that happen so i don't know it's it's hard to say but like it would say like you know i don't think it would happen at flynn's flynn's seems like a reputable establishment it wouldn't happen at flynn's if even though they sort of insinuate that it's in like the bad part of town and that he might not be doing well financially which i still don't really get because this place is absolutely packed but. Yeah, it's packed, and every machine is occupied, and he's got a, a great loft space upstairs. Yeah, and there was all the, always the fear also of the video games themselves destroying the attention spans of the childrens and getting them all hopped up on their on their you know like the quick pace of the video games would make the kids get all hyper and. Well, I can tell you, I didn't need video games to destroy my attention span. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it started out pre-destroyed. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel the same way. Like I've I was been a hummingbird since I was a little kid in terms of what's that? What's that? What's that? But I remember it, one of the things that happened in November of 1982. So this is just a few months after Tron came out in the summer. The U.S. Surgeon General at the time, General Everett Koop, gave a speech in Pennsylvania on uh, domestic violence and child abuse citing video games and during the question and answer period afterward he said that while there wasn't yet scientific evidence of any harm children were becoming addicted body and soul to video games and he released a follow-up statement clarifying what he meant but the damage was already done and also right around that time video games were you know your guy was a red square and the other guy was a blue square but now the video games were actually starting to be able to depict more realistic scenarios and i think that's when we started getting you know mortal Kombat, and there was some more violent imagery coming up in video games and so you know mortal Kombat wasn't until the uh the mid 90s though yeah mortal Kombat was way later sorry that was the wrong one to bring in that was a long time that was a long time afterwards but 
the there was some more violent uh, scenarios starting just starting to be depicted in video games around that time, like Donkey Kong. Yeah, like Donkey Kong. Oh, <laughs> most violent game ever created. So violent. <laughs> So, well, speaking of violence, right at the end of the minute, in the background, there's somebody shaking the hell out of a uh, a video game cabinet. Oh yeah, like I, you can hear it on the on the on the audio too, and I I don't know what the deal is with this, but like it's right at the end of the minute, Holy... and it's 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 right yeah. to the left of of Nora, right in the background. There's somebody just shaking the hell out of a cabinet, and I have no idea why they're doing that. My gosh, yeah, you're right. They're just really giving it back there. That thing's, they're like practically picking it up. It's going back and forth. So I, I'm wondering if that's just an extra saying, hey, this is how I'm going to be on screen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, like, and also around second 10, we find out that, uh, well, we don't, we, the game that Flynn is playing and the frame of the, of the game that he's playing, the frame around the monitor, the backlit monitor frame setup, that's the same of, that's what happened, that's the Tron video game. Yep. Uh, frame that was released not too long after they used that as the design for it. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, I used to play Tron in the arcade. And, it was and a discs, and discs of Tron. It's a pretty fun game. Yeah, discs of Tron, uh, light bikes. Uh, what else was there? It was the it was one against the grid bugs. You yep. actually fight the MCP there. That was the 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 game. The movie made thirty three million on a budget of seventeen million, whereas the game made an estimated forty five million dollars. So the game actually outsold the movie. Which I think well, it's a, it's always been sort of a it's always been sort of a niche film. It's uh, not the most popular of Disney's uh, ar- archives, but it, it's 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 always held a special place for me. But I, I understand that that not it, this movie is not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah, and I wonder I wonder why that is because I think the high concepts that are involved in it. One thing I've been like on this investigation as I've been going deeper the the levels are all there. It's not a hollow movie. There's a lot of depth to it, and there's a lot of soul in the middle of it. Yeah, and everyone, everyone put no. This was not a cynical exercise for anyone involved. I don't think. No, definitely. Except not. maybe, except maybe David Warner. He seems sometimes like he's phoning it in. <laughs> yeah, and I, he seems kind of uh, aloof. I guess like he's he's a professional actor, and I think for him this was just showing up, doing a job. But but you Jeff know. Bridges is wholeheartedly into the character of Flynn, and you could tell from this sequence here just how into the character he is. Yeah, and I really really like that he seems like when he comes when he when he when he sees Doctor uh, Laura Baines and Alan, he's like, "Hey, good to see you guys." You know, nothing classes up the joint like a clean cut young couple, but he's just mm-hmm. so so genuine. Yep. Like, and I don't know how he does it because, if, like, if this is take forty-three or whatever, I don't see it. I think that I think that's just Jeff Bridges. I think he's just that sort of personable, uh, always happy to see everyone kind of guy. Yeah, I think so. And I think he, I, mean, I think he's always been that way because you know, even up to even in, in you know later stuff, he just seems like that kind of guy. He seems generally well liked. He takes a lot of pictures backstage, and his uh, there was a Saturday Night Live routine when he hosted. There was a running gag. I, I forget if I've talked about this before, but there was that show Punked, mm-hmm. where people would get pranked, have have their you know their cars keyed or 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 stolen or I don't know some other thing that would have to make them angry or hurt, and then they would be like, "Oh, just kidding, you're on camera." And mm-hmm. so they did like a, a faux one of those on Saturday Night Live, but it was 
Jeff Bridges was hosting, and so this person walks into their apartment, and there's fresh flowers in the foyer. And they're like, what? Fresh flowers? For me? And then <laughs> Jeff Bridges, like, pops out and goes, ha ha! You've been Jeffed! And they're like, oh no, oh, Jeff! And so he's just doing all this, like... He's pranking real, people with nice things. <laughs> really nice things for people, and then they're, they're playing it that's, off that like seemed, it's a... That seems very Jeff Bridges. Yeah, it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful sequence. Do you, um... Now, I was trying to run into, look into how arcades were actually run. Like, but I don't know, I didn't quite get it. Like, did they buy the machine for, like, $4,000 and then get all the quarters to themselves? Or were they obligated I, to send a percentage of the quarters back to the parent company or something like that? I actually think it's, I actually think uh, both were true. I think you could buy the machines outright, but I also think you could uh, lease them from the, from the, uh, from either a distributor or the, uh, or the game company. That would make sense. But because, because if you lease them, then you can return them for the later generations. But I, I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of arcades bought them outright. And I, I think a lot of others probably leased them or rented them. Yeah, because what do you I, do? I, like, what do you do I don't with a broken I, machine, right? Yeah, but I don't think there was like I don't know for certain, but I don't think there was a, like a profit sharing enterprise between the arcades and the the manufacturers. I think it was just the manufacturers were selling a product. Yeah, for sure. And because you that, you 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 as a private citizen could buy an arcade cabinet too, it would just cost a lot of money. Yeah, at least a few grand. I've been looking into it. It's hard. That market, there's a, there's a market for that right now, all the main cabinets and the emulator cabinets. Yep. Yeah, because I remember was that there was a one of the one of the guys that had a Pong Pong machine. He'd set up a few Pong machines in town, around town, at the one at the height of the video game craze, and he it was the the quarters would just go into a bucket on the inside of the machine like literally just into a bucket and then every few days he'd come around to all the machines and collect the buckets from inside the machine and yep that's how uh, that's how it worked yeah and he said he'd be pulling out like four or five hundred dollars a day from each machine but the business owners would think that he was making like 500 bucks a month or something like they didn't <laughs> they didn't they didn't understand what was happening in terms of the actual money that was being made. So that's why I was wondering about how it worked for people who had an, a whole arcade full of them, but they're yeah, also I think, alive. I think, you know, they'd cycle the games out because they, they needed the novelty of new machines. Yeah. yeah I, I think, I think all the quarters stayed with the, uh, the arcades. I think they, I think the, the, the manufacturers just made money by selling the machines. Yeah. Cause you know, we, we had a, we had a pinball machine in our house when I was growing up and uh, it was basically the same thing. There was just a bucket inside to catch the coins and, Nice. Oh, you actually had not a that, machine in, the, in your in Not your that we ever used coins. We just had it set up on free to play all the time because, you know, why would you do that in your own house? And I guess when it needed repairing, you could like open it up and you saw you're familiar with like the guts of a pinball machine too. Or yeah, my you... dad my dad liked my dad liked tinkering with it. It was a uh it was a Williams Black Knight machine. Oh, Black Knight's a really good Which one. One of the best pinball machines ever made. Yeah, it's all in all the top 10 lists. It's always in there at least in the top 5. It was one of the first ones that had uh, actual recorded dialogue. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now it didn't have it didn't have a multi level, did it? It didn't have a, a yeah. Top. That was a multi, it did have a multi. The original Black Knight had Black Knight had two levels. That's right. Uh, four four flippers, one two on the main level, two on the upper level, and then they had the magna saves on both drains, which is basically an electromagnet that would catch your ball if you if you activated it at the right time. Yeah. So it wouldn't so it wouldn't drain. 
Oh, that was a really good game. I remember playing that and really liking it. That's quite a leap at the time for sure. I got really good at it because that's all I would do when I got home from school was play that. <laughs> I wore uh, I have a joust t-shirt and I wore it to work and a friend of mine at work um, around my age said, oh yeah, when I was when I was younger in the 80s, just after I moved out, I saved up and I bought a joust cabinet machine for my place. And I was like, wow, that must have been fantastic. And you must have gotten really good at joust, <laughs> you know. So if you've actually got the machine in your house, I'm sure you get pretty good at it. Uh, see, there was I was doing some research, and I realized that there was a guy, Jerry Parker, who's the mayor of Ottumwa, Iowa, the population of around uh, 25,000. He declared his city the video game capital of the world and ended up recording a bunch of firsts in video game history. It saw the birth of the Twin Galaxies Intergalactic Scoreboard and the U.S. National Video Game Team, two organizations that still exist today. And huh. it had the first video game-themed parade uh, in that January 8, 1983, the first video game world championship, January 8, 1983, the first study of brainwaves of video game champions, in, uh, again, 1983, the first billion point video game performance and the first wow. official of uh, the first official day to honor a video game player. So this guy was pretty ahead of the curve, I think, because this this is all pretty that's a good collection of firsts to have for for way back then. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, forward looking for a uh, for a small town in Iowa. Yeah. In the 80s. And I wonder, well, okay, so here we see Jeff Bridges playing the video game and the camera's looking up at him playing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he's actually playing a video game here. No, I'm sure he's not. Because they had video games on the set, but his... his yeah, but I'm, the Space Paranoids is not actually a video game. I'm sure no, it's no, no, just... No. I mean, like, if they had, uh, I don't know, Robotron or something in there, if they had actually playing some video game and then... No, I, I highly doubt it. I'm sure he's just... When the camera's looking up at him, I'm sure there's nothing but the camera below him. Oh, yeah. What am I thinking about, right? Like, cameras back then, you wouldn't be able to mount a camera on top of a video game and get that shot. Nope. Camera it's, just him, uh, it's just him uh, wiggling like he's moving his arms on a joystick or a trackball or, or whatever. It's completely believable, though. His face, his, he's just, one yeah. thing I get struck with over and over watching this is I just keep saying to myself, wow, Jeff Bridges is a good actor, you know? <laughs> That is uh, that is a groundbreaking statement right there. Yeah, that's not something that <laughs> I don't think a lot of people realize this, but uh, he's a, he's a very good actor. Yep. I remember there was a, a photographer named Philip Toledano, and he did a bunch of portraits of people playing video games, uh, like capturing their game faces. So he would just have it'd be darkness all around them, their face lit by the video games, and then he would take a picture when they were deep into. Uh, concentration playing the video games and he got some really neat results yeah it's worth, worth checking out although the foley sound was a little the foley sound isn't super hot in the crowd here what do we got there it seems uh it seems like they're using a lot of uh actual sound from the from the shoot in this as well because uh, yeah like like later on when that that kid whoever's in the background is wrecking that arcade cabinet you can hear it on the on the soundtrack like you, you can hear it thumping and then uh you know, the, a lot of the, the, the crowd, the vocals from the crowd seem to match up with what people are actually saying. 
Yeah, I think they added some, like there's some doctoring going on there, but I think they got a yeah. lot of natural stuff going on there as well. Which is interesting because this looks like a really a horrible place to try and get sound in. It's just a big loud barn. Yeah, I think a lot of the lines, like when they're, like after he's finished and someone says, Hey Flynn, how'd you do it? And I think little, it's all little lines like in, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's all in Zerists doing that like fo tai chi that's really good which uh i don't know how much of it is in the wrist but you know whatever yeah yeah whatever i think ha- having, I, having played an actual space paranoids arcade cabinet it's it's a joystick and a trackball so i don't know maybe yeah maybe the trackball trackball might involve some wrist movement but I, I i don't think the joystick really does no i think you could probably hurt yourself possibly i think with the with wrist movements get a little rsi or, or like repetitive stress yeah. injury or something but i like to go over yeah. the the differences a little bit between the screenplay and the novel too in the novel it says flynn stood straddle-legged leaning over the machine leaning over the machine playing with a great deal of body english he used the controls with the same quick facility he'd shown at the crt keyboard he was unshaven, his hair tousled, dressed in t-shirt, jeans, and jogging shoes. Delight was obvious in Flynn's face. His place was much more than a business to him. Seeing him, Alan recalled hearing that Flynn's was noted for fairness to its customers. On one occasion, the story went, a kid had chalked up an incredible score on one of the games, winning extension after extension of playing time. Closing time came, and any other place would undoubtedly have made the kid leave, maybe giving him back his original quarter. But it was said that Flynn had let him stay on after closing and sat a vigil with the kid's friends for an additional hour and a half required to finish the game. <laughs> and then, like, when Flynn is playing the, playing the game, he's giving pointers to the crowd, saying, I'll show you how it's done. You back off him, wait till, he, wait till he's ranged, bang and then get him and then his score is 999,999,999 and then he shoots another recognizer and the word record comes up on the scoreboard and a siren goes off as the crowd freaks out <laughs> that that's not something that ever <laughs> ever no, happens that's that's a bit much that uh, i don't yeah that's a bit much that's not how video games work no it's not it's not how they work not not at that point in history or yeah never never like, like I, I, I find it hard to believe that this is the uh, the record for Space Paranoids too, because it's not. It doesn't seem like a particularly hard game. No, the way it's portrayed, it's kind of like it's, well, it's very slow paced. It's uh, like the graphics. If if they had actually managed to make graphics like that at the time, would be mind blowing. But the game itself just seems kind of boring. Yeah, it's like another recognizer comes up in front of you. Shoot it. Yes. Drive drive for a while, like. Yeah, I don't know. But you just kind of had to roll with that, I guess. Just had to kind of suspend your disbelief for it. Well, it's interesting, too, that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a common thing that, that, that movies never quite get video games right. Yeah, for sure. It's really, like, I noticed it in a lot of games. There was a movie, oh, God, what was it called? It was about the Columbine shooting. Elephant, I think it might have been called. Leading up to it, they talked a lot about how the kids were playing a lot of video games and listening to a lot of heavy metal music or whatever, the same old scare tactic stuff. But in the movie, they have them playing video games, but they had no, they tried to make like a Counter-Strike kind of a video game for them to be playing. But of course, they couldn't have them actually be playing Counter-Strike. 
So I mm-hmm. think a lot of people are like, when they're making a movie, they're like, well, we, we can't get the actual game, so we'll just whip something up and we'll just have it on the screen. Yeah. And then I think the art department's like, well, it's actually really hard to make a video game. You can't just whip it up to have it in the background. We're going to have to make something that's looks somewhat plausible or it's going to look super yeah. fake. And it's a, it's just, a, it's an issue with, you're right. It's an issue with a lot of games, a lot of movies that have video games in them, unless they can't get a licensed actual my, video game. My biggest pet peeve is when they're playing a first person shooter or something like that. And somebody talks about getting a high score because video games nowadays don't really have <laughs> scores. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Very true. Very true. It's like, yeah, I've got like the, you're, you're, you're not going to get a high score in grand theft auto. No, that's not the way it works, right? You can get a lot of money, but you're not going to get a, you know, or you can do a time trial in the quickest time or something like that. But yeah, there's a lot of misinformation when it comes to video games as they're portrayed in cinema, unless they have. It was like that with, uh, oh, that goes well, that goes into a later minute. One thing about the screenplay, though, is that it's mentioned that the Space Paranoids has an ICOM logo on the side of the machine, which is, I think, what they were calling NCOM. Or what they called, what they ended up calling NCOM, but in the uh, screenplay, yeah. it's called ICOM. And it's, it's, I think that's kind of wild because that's way before iPhones and all the, uh, the I stuff that was the, the sort of I prefix yeah, it ended the, up on. Uh, I mean, the, the internet did exist at this point in history, but it wasn't. It certainly wasn't part of the cultural uh, zeitgeist at the time. No, there was just a handful of people that were that were sort of involved was- in it. Mainly educators and military at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And if, I think the beginnings of a few people in a few, Oh, no, not really. Yeah, you're right. The first time I remember somebody actually showing me message boards on the internet was probably closer to 1986 or 1988, something like that. Yeah, in, in 1982, it was... Uh, Usenet was the uh, the most popular uh, place for, for, to, for people to gather. And, and it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a message board, but there weren't that many people on it. You can still find uh, you can still find Usenet posts from that era, and I, I found one uh, actually from 1983 with people complaining about Return of the Jedi. Oh, <laughs> and it was an initial post and two replies, nice. and that was it. Yeah, yeah, I like these little snapshots you can get from way back. And you know, it's interesting how much of it has fallen through the cracks too, because people say the internet is forever, but friends of mine have been trying to do research on certain scenes that were big like 10 or 15 years ago and all of the links go to dead pages and nobody nobody chronicled any of it i ran into that uh i ran into that doing research for this um because i i was big into when tron legacy was coming out the 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 flynn lives uh alternate reality game and all of that stuff is gone yeah yeah it's not as forever as it's been made out to be well that takes us to about the end of minute 19 i think I got nothing else except for maybe noticing uh, Jeff Bridges' sweat stains under his arms. <laughs> yeah, his sweat stains, his vigorous video game playing sweat stains. Yeah, yeah, he's all, he's very, he's tuckered out. He's tuckered all out. That, all that, that uh, all that, all uh, that effort. Oh, that's strenuous, that strenuous wiggling. Standing in one place. I can remember, yeah, it's a little bit of sweat. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's very mentally taxing. It's, it may not be that physically taxing except for the standing in one place motionless for that long, but. I'm sure it took a long time to get to a billion points in Space Paranoids. Like, friends of mine that would get really, really, really high scores, they would just hit almost a state of transcendent Mm -hmm. meditation 
when everything was moving so quickly on the screen, they would just go to another level of existence. And uh, yeah, you know, it, it's it, that that level of concentration is very mentally taxing. Well, uh, where can people find more of you if they want to hear more of you? What do you oh, what are you uh, up to? If uh, if you want to find me online, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Big Base Bone. That's B I G B A S S B O N E. Uh, if you want to hear me sing extremely dirty folk music, uh, you can check out my band, The Poxy Boggards, at uh, poxyboggards.com. That's P-O-X-Y-B-O-G-G-A-R-D-S.com. We uh, we get very blue, but it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, and you can see us performing at the uh, this spring at the Southern California Renaissance Pleasure Fair in Irwindale, California. And nice. uh, that's about it. I, I've got a... I, I've got another Movies by Minutes podcast in the works. Uh, I was going to be doing Tron, but I took too long and you took it. <laughs> yeah. But What's, uh, do you, do you want to reveal the other one? Or? Which is per- no, because I, I don't, I, 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 it's still in the very nascent process and I'm. Okay. I, okay. I, I, cool. Cool. I have a very busy life, but uh, keep on the lookout. I may be announcing it sometime in the next couple months. All right. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at tronologicallyspeaking.com or drop us a line on Twitter at tronologicallyspeaking or send us an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com and let us know uh, what you're doing or, or how we're doing. Or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Tron Minute by Minute Listeners page. Uh, shout out to Pond5 for giving us, uh, well, for the royalty-free music that we have at the beginning and the end. And as always, special thanks to the creators, the Star Wars Minute that started it all go on over to moviesbyminute.com and see if your favorite movie is there it probably is there's a lot of movies up there right now 140 150 and if it isn't consider doing one yourself it's a very inclusive and encouraging community in my experience indeed um do you want to say end of line on three sure all right one two three end End of of line. line Thank you very much.